Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Rijk van Ikerk and my guest today is Sarah Jane Alexander of Coronation. She has been in the investment business for nearly 20 years and she co-manages several funds at Coronation including the Balanced Plus and SA Equity Fund. Sarah Jane, thank you so much for joining me. I looked at the Coronation website and it's very evident that the majority of your funds are co-managed. So you don't have individuals taking responsibility for managing individual funds. Is this a a strategy of Coronation? I think this is something that has sort of evolved over the last few (coughs) years. Um, I think we've put, there's a lot of depth in the team and I think that reflects some of that and we try to to create some, some sort of robustness of debate as well. So I think the co-managed model is great for increasing the sort of accountability and ownership of these funds and really driving the, the debate within, within those funds. Are there big differences between different individuals? Coronation largely all feeds off one research process. So all of the, our funds would have access to the same research. And a lot of the debate would really take place when that research is being done. So between the analysts in weekly meeting and between the portfolio managers themselves. So it's not to say that there are no differences, but because you have a sort of single research process really driving that debate and feeding those views, the funds and the views are more similar than they are different. Let's look at the market and let's start with what has happened recently. And that is it's evident that the interest rate cycles in the U.S. at least and in South Africa as well have bottomed out and and uh, it could we won't probably won't see any uh, significant further cut in interest rates if any has that changed the the way you look at the market uh, both locally and potentially internationally I mean, we still expect pretty, pretty lackluster demand out of South Africa. So I wouldn't necessarily call, call the bottom here to just given yesterday's decision. Our valuation methodology is always to try and look through this cycle. So when we think about buying an asset class or an equity, we're trying to look at the sort of cash flow stream that we think we'll get out of that asset over the, over the next three to five years. And so as a result, we don't really change things around a lot because of a, of a movement in the interest rate. We, we try and look through some of that short-term noise and volatility. So what are you looking at currently? Because valuations based on potential earnings seem to be not high on the valuation agenda. I think we're still seeing a lot of opportunity. We've got pretty reasonably sized exposure to to equities, just where you started. I mean, if you look at the local market, I think we're actually struggling to balance the number of buy ideas and the funds. You know, we still have resource shares that trade here, that trade on sort of single digit multiples a couple of years out with strong free cash flow profiles. We've got a number of global of global stocks that, that happen to be listed in South Africa, which also have attractive growth prospects for their own reasons, you know, whether we talk about something like an Aspas or a Quilter in the UK. And then there, there's some of the SA stocks that are starting to look cheap. You know, we're not buying them wholesale. We think that there are risks, but we think that there are also resilient business models within South Africa that will continue to thrive, um, even in a tough economy. And I would put some of the food retailers into that bucket. So we're certainly not short of ideas in, a, in an equity market. And then, I mean, if we look outside that at some of the other asset classes, we see the kind of yields that South African bonds trade on today. I mean, those are very attractive returns even compared to equities on a, on a multi-year view. I mean, it doesn't come without risk, but we, we think those returns do look attractive. I'm looking at the fund fact sheet of the SA Equity Fund, and it's very evident that you are looking at big international companies with not significant exposure to the local market. NASPAS is the top holding at nearly 17%. Then it's Anglo-American, British-American tobacco, Quilter, Process, 
And uh, in the sixth place, you only get to R&B Holdings and then Aspen, Bitcorp, Impala and ShopRite. So there's definitely a bias towards uh, big international companies as opposed to the so-called SA Inc. stocks. That's definitely true um, within the South African equities. We have held the sort of global stocks that happen to be listed here in in size for for some time now. And that's really, even if we go back to pre-COVID, that goes to our concerns on the South African economy and the lack of growth that we've had here. South African businesses generally face very high structural inflation year after year, whether it's rates or wage increases. And so as, as a result of that, we, we've worried for some time about the ability to, to grow earnings in this environment. And as I said, we do have a number of global businesses that are listed here that for individual reasons look, look very attractive. So the fund is overwhelmingly exposed to those with the, with the local equity component being just under 30% of, the, of that equity bucket. Who should invest in, in this SA equity fund? Because uh, South African equities have performed dreadfully over the last uh, five years uh, compared to international performances. Who do you think should look at this fund and not maybe select a, a more internationally exposed fund? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely true that South African growth asset classes have had a very disappointing five-year view. But we think for people that that live here and ex- have exposure to this economy, I mean, there is there is a role for South African equities in their portfolio. They do offer protection against longer-term risks like inflation. Yeah, and that remains no different today, albeit we've had a few tough years. How actively do you trade in this fund? This has been an unusually active year just because of the size of some of the price dislocations. I mean, we respond to valuations and when stocks sell off meaningfully, that obviously creates an opportunity to to add to ideas. So certainly during this crisis, we've, we've put some new names into that portfolio. Those global stocks that you mentioned, though, have been the cornerstones of this portfolio for, for a very long time. There's been those positions in Anglo-American or, or NASPAS have been in the portfolio for sev- several years. But we were also able to add what we think is a really good quality business like Bidcore, which sold off very meaningful as, meaningfully as there were fears on you know, out-of-home consumption and how much of that would continue. COVID obviously had a short-term impact on people's ability to eat out of home, but we certainly see no change in, the, in, in, the, in their desire to eat more meals out of home longer term. So we have had the opportunity during this crisis to, to add some, some names to the portfolio. It is also interesting that in the top 10 holdings of the fund, I don't see any banks. And the banking sector seems to offer some value. So we do own the banks. We own First Rand, which we think is, a, again, a, a good quality business within its context. I mean, we think it's done extremely well in terms of its investment into its digital capability that it offers its customers over the last few years. And we think that its strength is really reflected in its ability to continue to add customers. And usually for South African banks, this has been a bank that's really focused on growth to drive down its cost to income ratio. So we, so we do own First Rand. Let's look at the Balanced Plus Fund. This is a, a big fund within Coronation, over 18 billion rand invested in there, and it has outperformed the benchmark. Tell us about this fund. So Balanced Plus is our, is our multi-asset portfolio. It's invested across the asset classes. When I was talking earlier about the bond positions, this is what I was really talking about. I mean, we actively allocate within across those asset classes and take a view on the, on the, on the long-term value they offer. 
And I think this fund has, has really had an interesting year when we, when we look at some of the behavior in markets and some of the changes in asset pricing. So here we, we took quite active views quite early in the crisis and in putting protection into these funds. Given the, the high equity exposure that we had coming into this year, we felt that equities were undervalued but obviously couldn't forecast anything like the kind of crisis that we that we saw at the beginning of the year. So we did actually put protection into these funds and also took it off quite close to the lows. So that's, that, that helped the fund that was otherwise quite long equity going into a crisis. And so then increased exposure, and, 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 and that has obviously done well for us this year. Yes, I see if you look at the top 10 holdings, NASPAS at the top again, around 6% of the fund. Then a few international companies, Egerton Capital Equity Fund, Maverick Capital, then Anglo-American PLC, British American Tobacco. So very similar thinking in this fund, especially in relation to equities than the SA Equity Fund. So the domestic equity portion of this portfolio would look just like the SA Equity Fund. You'll get exposure to the same sort of best ideas out of South Africa. And then in addition to that, you have exposure to our international fund of funds. So that's where you see some of the best sort of fund managers that we have exposure to globally that would be that you would get exposure to through this fund. 20% of the fund is invested in bonds. Uh, what are your views on the, on the prospects of bonds? Yes, I think bonds are probably one of the the areas that we have the most robust debate about at the moment, just given the very attractive returns they offer. But as we all know, that's not without risk, and it's certainly a view by the market or increasing doubt on the ability of, of government to pay some of this debt. We think the yields are extremely compelling. If we go back a year ago, cash was offering a reasonable return, but when we look at the low sort of cash yields that you have today, being able to get around about 10% yield from a bond, if you hold that to maturity, is certainly is certainly very, very attractive. Indeed, but there's a lot of uncertainty around. Is it now the time to be aggressive or to be conservative? I, w- I wouldn't put the positioning as, uh, down as aggressive. I mean, I think we need to think about risk when we put anything into a portfolio like this, and we certainly do that. And that comes through the, the sizing of the position as well as where you buy exposure on a curve and the types of exposures that you buy. As I said, we, we do think there's a balance to, to be struck here be, between risk and return, and, 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 and we hope that comes through in some of the portfolio sizing. But we certainly don't think a sort of 10% yield can, can be ignored. I mean, that's a very handsome return to, to earn in, in, the, in the coming years. It's not a Regulation 28 fund, and you have around 35% of the assets uh, offshore. How does that 35% compare to previous levels? One of the other areas that we added to in the crisis was we, we meaningfully increased the global exposure of this fund. So again, we went into the pandemic probably too light in terms of our exposure to, to global equities. And as they sold off, we, we added to that just on our view that certainly developed markets would be far more resilient coming out of this than the domestic market. So so we did, we did tilt that more towards global equities. And we also do have a small exposure to Africa in there. Do you have exposure to the FANGs? There will be some exposure through those underlying managers, but I, I, I would emphasize that, you know, when we speak to our, our global managers, they they remain extremely excited about about the number of opportunities in, 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 their, in their respective markets. And I think a bit like South Africa, you've had huge divergence in those markets where there's still a lot of stocks that are really a long way off their, off their previous peaks. And it's a bit like the South African market, you know, where we've had a couple of stocks that have really delivered the bulk of the return while the average stock has done very poorly. 
Well, the future is very uncertain, especially economically. Uh, I think in many countries we will see significant economic declines in 2020 due to various lockdown regulations. How do you position yourself in such a scenario where you will see a bounce next year, but it won't be, we won't be back at pre-COVID levels in probably in several years. Do you adjust your investment strategy in, in that context? So we certainly adjust our expectations of what the underlying companies can deliver. I mean, when we look at domestic companies, you know, as you as you mentioned, we wouldn't expect them to deliver the sort of revenue they did in 2019 for several years. Probably looks more like 2023 for for many of them. So then the question really comes down to how well how well they can manage their costs. And I think so far when we when we look at this earnings results season that we've had, we've been pleasantly surprised by the cost action that many of these businesses are taking. I guess the difficulty comes in in questions around some of the second round impact of those cost cuts. You know, a lot of them will come from jobs. And what does that mean for, for the economy medium term? So we certainly are responding to it. We certainly are, are, are rerunning our thoughts on, on, on numbers and where that goes to. In a more global context, as I said, I think those markets will be more resilient than South Africa. And we certainly have better, better economic outlooks for those countries in, in general when I talk about developed markets. I mean, the, the challenge in South Africa is that we just went into this at a point in which the, the economy had really been sort of mismanaged for a decade and was, and was very weak going in. So it really just exacerbates that, that pain. I see the, the fund was launched in 1996. It's the Balance Plus Fund. Well, the cumulative return has been 2,206%. That is a phenomenal achievement if you look at that statistic. But if you look at the, the, the performance over the last few years, you haven't managed to, to beat the benchmark. You were just slightly down every year to, to the benchmark. First of all, what is the benchmark and, and how do you think investors should, should look at a fund like this, which has performed absolutely phenomenally, probably in its, in its first uh, decade or so, and then maybe just matching the market subsequently? As we discussed earlier, some of the challenge in, in, in the South African market has just been the very, very poor performance of the growth asset classes. So any exposure to, to equities, which have now really returned very little over five years, or property, would, would have hurt you relative to a benchmark. And then cash has done, has done exceedingly well over five years, as, and, and, and bonds have also delivered you know, reasonably good returns. So it does come down to the asset mix. Um, I mean, I, we, we do have reasonably high exposure to growth assets in this fund, and we believe over the long term those growth assets will offer you protection. We certainly don't think cash on, on very low yields today is, is an attractive offer to investors. So I think that these tough conditions for growth assets have really been the result of the low absolute returns the past mm. few years. But the benchmark is a composite of uh, equity and bonds. Uh, can you just explain that benchmark? Yeah, I mean, the, the benchmark is, is, is about half equity and then it's got just over 20% exposure to bonds. So as I said, depending on your size and equity, obviously that's been a huge detractor, any exposure to property similarly. These benchmarks are always difficult. We try and think about risk in as clean slate a manner as we can, and we try and buy asset classes where we think that they'll offer a long-term margin of safety. And as I said, we've been well exposed to growth assets, which have had a, a sluggish few years, but we certainly think that the returns there continue to look attractive on a medium-term view. And then bonds similarly, having having on offer 10% yields today we think offer good returns. That was Sarah Jane Alexander of Coronation.